John, we have a Hall of Famer, at least as of this coming Saturday, a Hall of Famer, uh, Mets broadcaster Gary Cohn's going in, but before he's stopping by with us. Yeah, it's terrific that we're going to have Gary on. I mean, there aren't that many people I would name who I'd say are absolutely excellent at the job that they do. And I think everybody would agree that he is an excellent play-by-play man for the Mets. And I'm interested in hearing about his background and how he transitioned from radio and TV, and of course, asking him about the current team. You know, John, you're so absolutely excellent at your job. That besides <laughs> having Gary on the show, I was gone last week, literally out of the country. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. So we'll have Gary, those questions about what happened in the last week uh, in Major League Baseball in the first third of the season. That's if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. John, uh, I was, uh, we didn't have a podcast last week because uh, I was away. I was on across the pond, as they like to say. I saw Bruce Springsteen in Rome. I stopped in uh, Greece for a few days. So I've got to do what I've been doing for 30 plus years, which is leaning on you for insight and expertise. Uh, I was speed watching games early in the morning there because I was asleep when the games were being played. But I, I left, you know, I come back. It's a third of the season. Uh, as we're speaking, I believe the Mets are 500. And I just kept having this thought. Are the Mets good? Yeah, I wonder about that. First of all, I'm jealous. I've seen Bruce Springsteen, but only in New Jersey and only in the 80s. So you're you're way ahead of me. You say Sir Circus Maximus in uh, Rome, uh, what, what, uh, 80,000 people. Uh, and we were close to the stage. It was really quite a thing. Getting onto the Mets, uh, they're not good right now. I mean, look, they're 500 and that's what they should be. They have really not been impressive to this point. Obviously, the Diaz injury was a big blow. I'm worried about their bullpen. They have really three pieces there that they can rely on. I'm worried about the rotation. There's an age question there. And the offense has underperformed to this point. I do think, as our producer, Jake, thinks, Vientos needs to play every day at 1,100 OPS in the minors. I understand big difference between the minors and the majors. I think Tatis had like a 1,600 OPS when he was in the minors briefly. I get it. But, I mean, Vogelback is a guy who walks and then he clogs the bases. That's on a good day. So Vientos needs to be playing. I'm not sure that's going to make the difference, but I am worried about the Mets. You know why I'm worried, John? It, you know, at some point they're going to have to run something off. Uh, you know, win 20 or 30, et cetera. If they, you know, the, the National League is going to be forgiving. And as we're speaking, there's only six teams over 500. The Mets are 500. So they're in contact with this. If they could run off a streak, they could put themselves in good situation. But I just keep watching them and saying, what are they good at? Like, 
they it's not like last year where they hit well. They don't really hit for power much beyond Alonzo and now a little bit Francisco Alvarez. The starting rotation has been one of the worst in the sport, though they have the two highest paid players per year in that rotation. Uh, you know, they haven't been as good. McGill and Peterson took steps back instead of steps forward. You know, Carrasco's been injured. Quintana's been injured. It's just, and the bullpen, like the Diaz loss is significant. You made this point. I want to give you credit for it is before we went on the air today, you said, wow, it would have been really something to have Robertson setting up Diaz. Instead, you have Robertson and then just a ton of questions, even Adovino and Drew Smith, who they were counting on, and Brooks Raley, who they were counting on big time. And I just sit there and go like, how would they run off 8 of 10, 12 of 15, 15 to 20? Like, what are they good at? Well, individually, they've they've had, you know, good spots. I mean, Al- Alonzo hits the home runs. Lindor plays a great shortstop. Uh, Alvarez has been good overall, better, <clears throat> better than expected. Catching, and he's hit home runs. So he's been very good. Nimmo's been good. Robertson has been great. Um, so, you know, there's four or five guys you can name who've done really well or done parts that are really well. But overall, you're right. They have not been great at any one thing as a team. You know, John, the, you know, if we switch to the other New York team, they're, they're, as we're speaking, they're 10 over 500. They have the fourth best record in the American League and the AL East that puts you in third place. All five teams are over 500 still a quarter, uh, um, a quarter of the way through the season, a third of the way through the season. I'm sorry. Uh, and I just keep having this thing is like, are the Yankees just addicted to winning? Because I watch them also and I'm like, like, they're not playing that great. They obviously have the best everyday player in the game, positional player in the game and judge. And it feels again like he carries them. But I watch them. They're worse on the bases than they were last year. They're worse in the field than they were last year. Their bullpen isn't as deep as it was last year. Their rotation is as deep. And somehow they're just addicted to winning. They're 10 over 500 again. Are the Yankees good? Yes, I do think they are good. Uh, I mean, obviously, Judge is amazing. He's the best hitter in baseball. I mean, when you throw the power in there, I mean, I would you might say Freeman might get an eight as a hitter. But if you count power hitting, I don't think anybody's better than Judge. As a hitter, and I don't think there's any position player all around better than Judge. That's a big advantage to have, to have him. I do think they're a good team. I think they'll be better once they get everyone together. There's a worry now about Bader. You know, is he going to be out a while at this point again? Um, You know, Stanton is going to be back. Um, You know, Trevino is going to be back. I think we're going to see Rodon at some point fairly, I don't want to say soon, but within a few weeks, I think. So, I mean, they're missing a lot of pieces and playing well. You know, one thing I didn't mention about the Mets, you you briefly touched on, they're only half game out of the playoffs as we do this, right? One game over is a playoff team in the National League. So, you know, I still think they can get in the playoffs, but your original question is, are they good? They're not good. Well, the National League is bad. So it allowed it's going to be forgiven, right? The Cardinals have the second worst record in the National League and are closer to first place than the Yankees, who have a the you know the fourth best record in the whole league. You know, it's reflective of how good Tampa has been, but also reflective of how bad the um the uh, National League has been. But just flipping back to the Yankees, you know, you mentioned uh, you know, Bader might be looking at a second injured list stint uh this season. You know, he never stays healthy. Stanton's never stays healthy. Rodon never stays healthy. It's just like 
you know, the Yankees keep talking about this magical day when they're healthy. And I'm like, yeah, three guys will come back and three more will be out. You've signed and acquired a lot of injury prone players. Again, there's something about them. They know it. They're very different from the Mets in this way, John. They just know how to win. Like there's right. a, they're, well, they're, it's they're, a cycle though. Right now, a lot of guys are out and they're still winning. Presumably, they'll be back. And but but when they're back, more. who else will be out? That's my, that's the thing I <laughs> well, keep going for. Well, it looks like for. Bader might be out a little while now. And you know, John, I think what John Carlos Stanton leads the major leagues in is being close to going out on a rehab assignment. I think he leads the league in that every year. He's very close to going out on a rehab assignment. And you know, like the moment someone like him or Severino comes back. Just to me, the clock starts for the next time they're going to be out. Well, Severino's been good, though. I mean, yeah, well, two starts because he hasn't pitched all year. <laughs> like, like if I were your, your graded odds, your your math was, you know, I've been leaning on that for thirty years. Also, is like, you think he'll make ten uninterrupted st- uh, starts? Like, what would you be the odds? Well, of I'm an optimist. I think he will. He's looked great, so that's a big plus. Obviously, Cole has not been as good in the last five starts as he was in the first seven, but. Uh, He's an ace. You know, I, I feel good about this team. They're in a very tough division. They're well over 500, while injured. Judge is doing what he did last year. Rizzo, I think the the banning of the shift has helped him, so he's going to be an even better player, and you know he's a really good player to begin with. I still believe in Volpe. I, I understand some people are wondering now because his average is around 200. I like the way he goes about it. I think he's going to be good. I, I like this team, and I, I I have faith in this team. Now, unlike the Mets, their competition is quite good. I mean, even the Braves are backing up in the National League. In the American League, you've got the Rays, the best team. The Orioles are right up there. I mean, every I think the Red Sox are going to come down, and they'll be the last place team. But the Blue Jays, there's no reason they should be anywhere near 500, right? I mean, they're like 10th in pitching, 11th in hitting. That should be well above 500. That should be a good team as well. So, I think their biggest issue beyond the injuries is the competition, but they are a good team. Yeah. So let's, uh, you know, let's wrap up, uh, you know, the, I'll ask a third thing that I was thinking a lot about while I w- was gone, you know, to the Yankees credit, only five teams that were in the playoffs last year would be in the playoffs if the season ended today, you know, a third of the way through Tampa Bay, the Yankees, Astros, Braves, and Dodgers. That means seven teams from last year are not in the playoffs. I'm going to go you, Toronto's one. Cleveland, Seattle, the Mets, Philadelphia, St. Louis, and San Diego. Just wonder what you think of those seven teams. Let's not do them all, but just do you think there's a team in there? You know, the Phillies like are in there. This is where the Phillies were last year, and they ended up winning the National League Championship. When I read those seven teams, who do you imagine kind of comes out of this kind of, you know, quicksand and actually makes, makes a strong run this year? Well, I would certainly think that the Padres got to be better than this, right? I mean, not just because they were my World Series pick. Look at the talent on that team. I mean, I know Machado's out now, but we just saw them at Yankee Stadium. <clears throat> they have terrific, terrific talent. They should be much, much better. Uh, and I would think the Phillies would be better. I don't know whether it's the World Series hangover, WBC. Trey Turner just has not been what you expect. I mean, he's been a consistent force in baseball for years, and he has not done it. Um, you know, I, those are the two teams that stand out. They have the same benefit the Mets have in the National League. Competition is not great, and, you know, I got to feel the Phillies and the Padres make a run. Those are the two teams I would pick out of that list. 
the Cardinals have the ben- extra benefit. Not only in the National League, they're in the National League Central. So I could easily see them winning that division. I don't know. You know, they've been they've been even worse than the other two, though, at this point. It's it's amazing. On my video, post video, I picked the most disappointing team of the week, and it's been so easy. Every week we have somebody so disappointing, you know, whether it's the Blue Jays, you know, or the Padres, Phillies, the Mets. Uh, it's amazing how bad some of these good teams should be, are. You know, John, one of the things I think about a lot, you talked about the top-level talent with the Padres, and I think the Padres, Mets, and Phillies all fall into this, and we all are seduced when teams sign stars. But baseball is our most democratic sport. You know, in general, the ninth-place hitter hits as often as the third-place hitter. Uh, The number four and five starter have to start as often as the first starter, uh, the way bullpens are used now, you can't just say we have a bunch of mop-up guys out there. You know, seven, eight guys are going to get used a lot, often in leverage to high leverage situations. And like, you've got to have a good one to 26. You got to have a good one to 40. You had to do a good job with non-roster invitee major league guys in the offseason. You know, again, like, let's give the Yankees credit. Before he got hurt, Ian Hamilton was that kind of guy they found on the margins. He was helping them a lot before he got hurt. And the Mets the Phillies and Padres are very top heavy teams and the season exposes that you, you know, because of the way the game is distributed democratically and because of the grind, how much the injury list is used, you need the length of your roster. And I just wonder about the length of the roster of all those teams. I think the Padres should have some length. I mean, look how good Carpenter was last year. Now I had a clean up at Yankee stadium the other day when I was there and he has not done anything, you know, um, I feel like their complimentary players are decent. They're good enough. Um, look, someone could say the Yankees are top-heavy, right? They have two great players. They have Cole and they have Judge, and that that's good enough for them. Uh, maybe their depth is a little better than the Phillies and the Padres, you know, but I don't see it. I, I really don't. I really believe that the Padres and the – I mean, you have five or six superstars. You should be a good team, right? I mean, the other 20 guys – or 21 guys can't be that bad, can they? But this I, has been the Trout Angel thing for a couple of years, yeah. right? You have Trout, well, have Notani. Two. They don't have five or six. The Padres have five superstars. The Phillies, you know, I haven't counted, but it's close to that as well. The Angels really had those two players. Um, you know, their depth fell off fairly quickly because Rendon is always hurt. I would think with five superstars, you should be good. I might be proven wrong because they have not. Padres have been terrible. They've not just been mediocre. They've been bad. John, I actually agree with you. I think the Yankees are very top heavy. And I think the secret sauce of the of the Rays is that no matter who they lose, the fall off to the next player is not that great. And they think of their roster for financial reasons, 40 to one instead of one to 40. And, you know, the, 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 it really they never put a player on the field pretty much who stinks. Uh, and and these other teams do the Padres, the Phillies, the Yankees, the Mets. I mean. Without insulting anyone, I'm sure you and I, if we were sitting next to each other, we'd be like, how the hell is this guy in the major leagues? And they're playing on teams with 250 plus million dollar payrolls. So, you know, it it those top heavy teams do distribute a lot of innings pitched and at bats to guys who are just not major league quality. Yeah, I mean, the Rays have like 10 guys who have well above average stats at this point. So it's pretty amazing. You look at their bench, they usually have three or four guys who could be easily be starting players. Um, so give them credit. I wonder uh, about the attrition of that team, though, because they, you know, I know a lot of teams are getting injured and injured pitching injuries are a bit up. They're not up as much as we think. Uh, 
But if you look at the stats, they are generally up a little bit. But boy, the uh, the Rays suffer a lot of pitching injuries. I I just I just wonder how long they can keep going. I know they have great depth. They do a great job. And I know I've been a Rays detractor, and I've been 100% wrong, but they they seem to have too many pitching injuries to me. I think ultimately that may do them in. Well, we got two-thirds of the season to find out about all those clubs. What we're going to do next is the Mets are having their Hall of Fame introduction uh, induction on uh, Saturday. Uh, Gary Cohn, the SNY play-by-play man, is deservedly going in, and he was kind enough to join us. He's kind enough to join us next on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. And uh, I feel it's weird for me to be introducing you, Gary Cohn. It's akin to me probably pinch hitting for Pete Alonzo tonight. Uh, feels backward for sure. Uh, but here we are. It's a special week uh, for the Mets and for you. Uh, you're one of the four people going into the Mets Hall of Fame this weekend with your former radio partner, Howie Rose, and also with the players, Al Leiter and Howard Johnson. Uh, if people actually need the biography, you've been associated with Met Broadcast since 1989, about half of that doing radio with Howie and Bob Murphy uh, and on TV since 2006 with the famous trio, uh, Gary, Keith and Ron. And so, uh, first of all, congratulations. Thank you for joining us. And I just wonder if we could frame the issue a little bit, Gary. It's it's you're going into the Hall of Fame of the team you rooted for growing up in Queens for the job you always hoped you would get. I wonder if you could put into words what 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 this means. It's usually the end of career thing, but you're still at the top of your game. Well, it's it is kind of hard to describe and and I'm really having trouble wrapping my brain around the whole thing. I I still sometimes marvel at the fact that I even have this job, much less that I've spent more than half my life doing it. Um I really don't know how it's going to feel going out on that field and um receiving this incredible honor in front of 40,000 people. Um, it's uh, it's really hard to describe. And, you know, the fact that there are only a few dozen people in the Mets Hall of Fame and that I'm going to be one of them, just, I mean, you have to understand that, that the Mets were my life as a kid and um, they've become my life as an adult. And um, to be in that small fraternity is just mind-boggling to me. Gary, congratulations. Uh, uh, Well-deserved. I think you guys have the best uh, 
broadcast uh, trio going in baseball. So uh, my hat's off to you for that. You mentioned uh, how the Mets were your life as a kid. You did go to Columbia, so I'm assuming you studied, found some time for studying as well. But uh, I didn't realize you were from Kew Gardens. That's pretty close. Uh, you know, I just want to know a little bit more about your background. You don't really talk about the specifics of it that much on the air. How many games a year did you go to? I was a Yankee fan. I somehow sneaked into game five of the 69 World Series, got lucky there. But how many games did you go to, and and were they really your life as a kid? Well, I would say I probably spent at least 500 days and nights in the upper deck at, at Shea Stadium. Um, I was fortunate enough to be there for game three against the Braves in uh, in 69 in section 48, row R, which anybody who knows um, Shea Stadium knows is the last section and not quite the top, but pretty close to it. Much better view of the visitor's bullpen than, than of the field. But I was in the building that day and I made it down to the field to get my little piece of turf, which I kept for many, many years till um my mother moved and it disappeared. Um, but I was 11 years old then. Um, but I, you know, interestingly enough, I probably went to the most games while I was in college. I was probably at 50 games a year, 50 um, home games a year. Um, and anybody who knew me in college knows I didn't spend a lot of time studying. I spent most of my time either at the radio station or, or at Shea Stadium. WKCR, right? If I'm correct about that, uh, you did soccer with George Stephanopoulos, a uh, little trivia tidbit uh, to, to throw in here. You're almost a perfect person to go into the Hall of Fame, Gary, not not just because you excel at what you do, but you really are a baton pass. If you think about Met history, it starts with Lindsey Nelson, Ralph Kine, and Bob Murphy, and the fact that you worked with Bob uh, and you're kind of like a legacy handing off. I wonder uh, if you could talk a little to us about the that relationship uh and and being able to probably somebody you listen to if you were at 500 met games you probably listened to several thousand where bob murphy was actually broadcasting well that's the thing i had a relationship with bob from the time i was six years old he just didn't know it um you know he was the voice under my pillow he was the sound of mets baseball for you know for all of my childhood and you know with Lindsay and and ralph they created Mets history. I mean, you think about it, you know, Howie and I have um, built our reputation in part because we we know Mets history because we grew up as fans, but those guys didn't have any Mets history. There was no Mets before they took over the reins. And, um, you know, the three of them handled radio and TV every day, two of them on TV, one of them on radio, they'd rotate every three innings. And those were the only three voices associated with the Mets for the first 17 years of the franchise. And I, I have to tell you that spending 15 years in the booth with Murph, um, there were very few days that I didn't pinch myself and think, what the heck are you doing here? And, you know, how is this even possible that you're sitting next to Bob Murphy, who you listened to when you were six years old under your pillow? So. Um, yeah, I, I, I think very much so. I think it's, it, it's, it's an honor to have people come up to me and say, you know, I grew up with Lindsey, Ralph and Bob, but now you guys are, um, our equivalent of that. And that's, that's just beyond my comprehension. How about the two guys you work with now, uh, Keith and Ron, 
uh, camaraderie on the on air seems fantastic. Now I'm around the clubhouse. You work hard. You're around the clubhouse, and so so is Keith, frankly, and Ron. But you and Keith seem very different to me. And yet the rapport on air is fantastic. Was that natural? Was that developed over time? And why do you think it works so well? You know, I don't really have a a great answer for why it works. Um, what I do know is that when we first started, we we all really needed to lean on each other. Um, we were all pretty inexperienced when you think about it. I mean, I had never really done much TV and Ronnie had done one year in Washington and really didn't have a whole lot of direction. And Keith had kind of dabbled for a few years, but had never really taken it seriously. And I think that we needed each other. And I think also that despite the fact that, you know, there might be some outsized personalities in that booth, I think that nobody really needs to be the star. We don't need to be on camera. We don't need to um, dominate the broadcast. Everybody's willing to let everybody else carry the ball. And and we genuinely like each other. And I, I've always felt as though um, if you're having fun on the booth, then in the booth, then people are having fun watching it. And I, I hope that comes across. I like that you described that Keith wasn't taking broadcasting seriously before 2006, as if he's done it since 2006. Uh, but uh, obviously he, you, you know, I, I saw a quote um I think you attributed it to Ron Darling, where you described it as freeform jazz, what you guys have, that you do very little planning about what you're going to talk about. You don't script it, et cetera. Um, I'm just wondering about that experience of the level of trust you have that inning after inning, game after game, there'll be stuff where you guys find the ability uh, and you find the ability to draw out that kind of curmudgeon, hysterical, Keith, that analytic, insightful Ron every day? Well, I think, first of all, it comes down to two things. It comes down to having a great producer, which we do. Um, Greg Picker has been with us from day one at SNY, and he knows the game. He's very creative. He gets bored, very frankly, and and he likes to push um, all of us to make sure that we don't just surface analyze things um, that we don't be a cliched baseball broadcast that we go beyond that. So there's that, but I think also there's a certain amount of preparation that goes into every day. And, and, you know, Ronnie and, and, and I both prepare meticulously to make sure that we know everything that's going on in the game. And so we can address any issue that comes up and Keith prepares in his own way. It might be a little bit differently, but he's always ready Um and, you know, 95% of the stuff you prepare never makes it into the broadcast, but at least you're ready to, to you know, the great thing about baseball is that it's a game of connections, right? You, you, you see something happen and it brings up something that happened the day before or the week before or six months before or 10 years before or something you read about 80 years ago. Um, and I think that as long as you're ready and you have that, um, that knowledge base, then you can go in whatever direction you want. And then it's a matter of personalities and and how they mesh and who pushes who and, and, and where it goes. And I never know where it's going to go. And that's probably a good thing. Yeah. We, we work with Ron here, so we know that he prepares and I think it's probably good. You have a rarity of having two Ivy leaguers in the booth. So you do your homework. Uh, we have Mark DeRosa here as well, who also prepares, um, 
very diligently. I wanted to ask you, though, about the switch. I read your bio. I did a little little bit of preparation myself, and it said that you were reluctant uh, to come off of radio. How close did you, I mean, were you in a position where you could have turned them down? Um, you know, I know a lot of the broadcasters are working for the team. I'm not sure how it works with you guys. You're working for SNY, I think, not the team. Could you have turned them down, and how close did you come, and uh, how much different is it for you to do TV instead of radio? Well, I, I mean, I certainly could have turned them down. I mean, I was working for WFAN, and, you know, SNY uh, came calling. I was not their first choice. Um, uh, they wanted to hire Dave O'Brien, who had done, you know, like 50 games a year on the over-the-air Mets package, but he re-upped with ESPN, and now he's with the Red Sox. Um they wanted Ted Robinson, who had done Mets games on TV, but they wanted somebody who could basically do all the games, and Ted had other commitments uh, with his tennis. So I think I was the third choice. Um, and by the time they got to me, um, they had already hired Keith, and they were trying to you know, figure it, things out. And I, I had a lot of soul-searching to do because I've always been a radio chauvinist. Um, I, mean, I, I tell people now, and it's true, I still think in radio and speak in TV. I probably speak more of a hybrid, probably speak more than most TV um, guys do. But, um, you know, I have to filter out all the descriptive phrasing that goes through my head um, as a radio person. So, um, you know, so there was a lot that went into that decision. But let's be honest, um, TV pays a lot more than radio. And I have five kids and they were all heading for college at that point. So it was at, at the end of the day, you know, it became a situation where I had a chance to get on the ground floor of something new. The subject matter was known to me. And then it was a matter of figuring out how to talk less and dress better. <laughs> Gary, you did mention your your radio roots from the question John was asking, and you're going in again, fittingly probably, with Howie Rose into the Mets Hall of Fame. Uh, the Mets have essentially had state of the art TV and radio guys for their six decades. You know, the people who are doing this, including yourself. I wonder uh, what you think of going in with Howie, and what do you think about Howie as a broadcaster? Well, I think it's fantastic that we're going in together. You know, as much as I treasured the 15 years I worked with Murph and as great as these last 18 years have been with Keith and Ron, those two years in the middle with Howie in 04 and 05 when we were together on the radio were probably the most fun that I ever had. I mean, it was like um, speaking back and forth to somebody with the same brain. I mean, we we didn't know each other as kids, but we certainly shared a lot of the experiences and a lot of the sensibilities. And you know how he's wonderful. I mean, he's he is the repository of of Mets history and and Mets lore. Um, you know, people talk to me about how much I know about the Mets, but how he knows ten times as much and and remembers things in in great vivid detail. And um, he's passionate and he's um, a wonderful friend on the radio to everybody who listens. And uh, I'm so happy for him because he deserves this as much as anybody uh let's not leave out al Leiter and howard johnson also going in so if you could give me a couple of words on uh each of them and also on jay harwitz who's also being honored by the mets hall of fame yeah um you know al and hojo are two of the most delightful people i've ever been around i mean there's never been a more intense competitor than al um and yet you know <laughs> i say this all the time there there are very few pitchers that i've ever been around 
who the day that they're going to start um, welcome conversation. And he would, <laughs> most pitchers have their game face on and you don't go anywhere near them the day they're pitching. Al would have five chairs around his locker and be carrying on a, you know, a, a rap session. It's just, but then when he got on the mound, he was so emotional into every pitch. And um, I think that really endeared him to to Mets fans. Plus the fact that he was a, a great pitcher. And Hojo's, first of all, he's just a delightful human being. And, but more than anything else, you know, in terms of this honor, he's probably the most underrated Met ever. I mean, he had three of the best seasons um, any Met has ever had. And it gets overlooked because they weren't for championship teams. I mean, he played for the 86 championship team, but he was, you know, basically a, a role player on that team. But after the championship, he was their best player for, for five or six years. And um, I think people forget that sometimes because they didn't necessarily win the years that he was uh, excelling. But there very rarely been switch hitters with the combination of power and speed that that Hojo had. He was um, he was a terrific player, and and I'm and I'm glad that he's going in. And that's for Jay. I mean, he's the the glue of this franchise for you know the last five decades. I mean, nobody who's come through this organization has anything but happy memories of Jay and uh, his relationship with the players and uh, the way that he was able to connect the players with the media. And even today in his role as the alumni director, the way he was able to fashion that um, Mets old timers day last year was remarkable. And it's great that he's been given the, uh, the authority to do those things. And, and Steve and, and Alex get a lot of credit for honoring Mets history and, um, Jay has, has certainly come through in that gig as well. But, you know, Jay is, um, everybody has wonderful stories and, and, and memories and, and happy thoughts about Jay. And I'm glad that he's getting honored as well. You know, Gary, you mentioned Al would, uh, regale reporters, uh, announcers before a start. I think David Cohn fell into that rare category also as somebody who would talk to you before a game. You mentioned Jay being able to connect players. It's a different sport from, you know, it's funny, you, you, your first year was 89 uh, radio uh, for the Mets full-time. That was my first year covering the Yankees full-time before, you know, I rolled it into being a columnist. So we're kind of in that same period, and we'd seen access cut. We've seen social media probably make everybody a little more touchy than they've ever been before. What does it mean to the lead broadcaster of the Mets the way that there's been evolution or revol revolution in your relationship with players? Yeah, I, I don't think it's affected us nearly as much as it's affected the writers. I mean, I don't tweet, and um, so that that takes me out of that realm. I And I've found Twitter to be actually a great tool for me because I follow all of you guys, and then I know what's going on. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I've always been arm's length with the players anyway. I mean, I always have cordial relationships with them, but I don't need a lot from them, and when I do need something, I try to make it brief i don't have to do in-depth stories or, or or get you know too much in the weeds and and um i try not to take up too much of their time so um it really hasn't changed a lot for me um i mean it's different when you go in a clubhouse now and there are three players in the clubhouse and they're all, you know the rest of them are all in private areas that the media doesn't have access to but you know i i honestly don't think that's really affected us as much as it's affected others does it 
are players touchier? Like, you know, it's just like social media. I mean, for, for me, I feel like players are more sensitive uh, than, than, than in the past. And I'm in issues because I sense that wives, girlfriends, mothers, fathers, friends are informing that they're interpreting it as if I'm writing Sanskrit or something uh, to the player. And it's almost always wrong. And then you're putting out fires. Are you, have you felt over the years that you're putting out fires that maybe you didn't in the eighties, nineties, early aughts? No, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I'm sure I've pissed people off <laughs> at various <laughs> stages in my career. And, um, sometimes I hear about it and sometimes I don't. And, you know, sometimes people, um, want to talk about it and sometimes they just stew and, you know, the, the nature of the job is that, you know, you say stuff and the, the, as you say, the families, the, 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 the girlfriends, they, they hear it and then things get back third hand, but, you know, none of it is is all that important. Um, I do think that that players do feel a little more bombarded now because of social media. Um, I think before that it was sports talk radio, right? I mean that. I mean, Mike and the Mad Dog started the same year that I did, um, and that's when sports talk radio really took off. And I think that 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 created a little bit of of hesitation on players' part. But the social media thing has just it, it's changed everything. It's changed how players have to behave in public. It, it's changed um, the openness with which they approach just about everybody because anybody potentially with a camera or a microphone in their pocket can, um, you know, can cause harm. And that's a shame. It, it, it is. And that's true of anybody in the public sphere, not just baseball players. You know, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about this year's team. Obviously, a disappointment at 500 right now with the highest payroll in baseball history. What do you make of this year's team? I mean, could it possibly be like that team with what? Not good with the years, but Coleman and Bonilla. Could it possibly be that again, or are we going to see a resurgence, or what happened last year where they ended up winning 101 games, or is it something in between? Well, I, I don't know. That's why we played the season, so we'll find out. But I, I do know that going into the season i was cautioning everybody that this was a very old team and you know that that certainly has um made its mark you know with berlander and scherzer missing, missing as much time as they have and um Marte and canna particularly looking older than they did last year but they've got some dynamic players scherzer and berlander are healthy they are you know, two top of the rotation guys, much as Scherzer and DeGrom were slated to be last year. And that team won 101 games. You know, Lindor and Alonzo and, and Nimmo and McNeil are a terrific core. And if, you know, Alvarez and Beatty continue to play the way they have and Vientos and Mauricio can contribute as well, then you have the infusion of youth that makes this team feel a little less brittle. Um, but you know, we've seen it over the last few years. I mean, whether it was the Nationals in 19 or the, you know, the Braves in 21 or the Phillies in 22, you know, first thirds of seasons for teams in this division are not necessarily indicative of what's going to end up happening in October. Since you've watched more Mets over the last half century, a little bit more, I guess, than anybody else, I want to ask you, who, who was your favorite growing up? And now that you've been doing this for 34, 35 years Who's who's been your favorite player either to deal with or to watch? 
Well, my favorite player growing up was Bud Harrelson. Um, and there's nobody else close to, to Buddy. Uh, he was, you know, the, the underdog, the little guy. Um, he was so much fun to watch, speed and and such incredible grace in the field. And um yeah, so he was he was my my be all end all. And I wanted to be like him until I realized I had no talent. You know, as far as to cover, you know, there have been a lot of guys. Um, the 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 most fun guys to be around are always the fringe guys. You know, the Tom O'Malley's, the the Tim Bogars. Um, you know, those are those are the the guys you remember as being the um, you know Josh Satin. You know, the the front and center guys. But as far as on the field, uh, it, it's hard to to get past watching. Jose Reyes and David Wright and and not feel as though, you know, those guys had just such incredible talent and 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 fun and and you know those teams that they played on together were um those were special and uh but you know what they're 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 all special in 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 their own way right i mean everybody who's played for this franchise and they're, they're, you know there aren't that many of them when you when you come right down to it um a few uh a few hundred or thousand whatever you know you remember them all in 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 a certain fond way um, because they do come and go and there have been a lot of generations of players filter through here over the 35 years that i've been doing this job you know, I think we saw the affinity, the passion, the love that the fan base does have for the players last year with the old timers game. Uh, when that came back, you know, it's like the Mets had run away from their history without realizing their fan base actually loves the history as, uh, you know, zigzag and problematic as it's been at times. I'm wondering, you know, as a way to wrap up here, because you are both a broadcaster and an historian, especially of this team. If you were trying to summarize six plus decades of this franchise, what 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 is it? Well, it's very easy. It's it's um it's perpetual failure punctuated by exceptional triumph. <laughs> that's that that's what this franchise has been. And you know, we were having this discussion the other day, um, vis-a-vis the Oakland A's and and um their record this year and what it would mean if they had a worse record than the 62 Mets. And and Howie and I both were of the opinion that as fans, we treasure the 62 Mets because despite the fact that they were 40 and 120, they were beloved. And obviously it's a different experience in Oakland right now, but, and I'm sure the players for the 62 team, and in fact, um, Steve Gelbs talked to Ed Cranepool and Jay Hook about it. They would love to see another team, you know, expunge them as the, the, um, symbol of of failure, but you know what? The failures are part of what made the fan base right. Sixty nine was an incredible accomplishment, but without sixty two to sixty eight, it's not as incredible an accomplishment. So, you know, it's it's the nature of the Mets fan to understand that his team is not always going to be great, but it makes the great moments that much better. Yeah. The uh, the Mets had an excuse in '62. They were an expansion team. I'm not really sure the A's have an excuse, except for trying to throw games to get to Las Vegas. But uh, that's my opinion. I'm leaving you out of this, uh, Gary. Uh, <laughs> it's also my opinion that coming Saturday before the Mets play the Blue Jays, that this is incredibly well earned, 
anybody who listened to you on radio and TV, you know, I think John and I are kind of different from the average fan because I know when I turn on, I kind of want to like go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I learned something. And I've got to say, every time I listen to a Met broadcast with you and Ronnie and Gary, uh, you know, it, it it's I, I learned something, you know, uh, I, I said, Gary, Keith and yourself. So well-earned, well-deserved. And uh, I'll speak for John here. I try not to do that. We're both uh, really uh, thankful that you joined us here today. And congratulations on this great honor you're going to be getting on Saturday. Thank you, guys. It was great of you to have me on. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's going to be great. And I don't know what it's going to feel like, but um, it's going to be a, an incredibly special day. So thank you. Thank you very All much. All right. Enjoy it. And thank you for joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Gary Cohn was a great guest, uh, John. Uh, thanks so much, John. Uh, but while I was away uh, on the other side of the ocean, John put in a lot of effort to get us a guest this week and got us, Gary. Uh, thank you, John, for doing that. Uh, I just want to add, no, it was no problem getting him. He agreed immediately. But uh, thank you for saying it was a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you're truthful also. Uh, I wonder if we could play our usual game to kind of close up here, hit or error. You know, I'm going to give a weird error to Las Vegas. Uh, they seem to be on track and agreeing to letting the A's come in. I don't understand why. Uh, they're clearly one of the next two team, two cities that would get an expansion team, uh, with Nashville being the other city. Um, wait for an expansion team. I think it'd be great to have your own team. Why bring in the A's, who are on en route, I believe? We'll see. I mean, uh, we thought the 2003 Tigers were going to break the 62 Mets record for ineptitude, uh, the 40 win mark that the Mets had in 62. It looks like the A's are going to do it for sure. Why bring that team in there with that owner who seems to be trying to lose? I would say, wait, you know, the hockey team is great. You have the Raiders who were not great, but they love having the Raiders. I know I've been there at a game. So I'm giving a small error to Las Vegas for diving in on the uh, Oakland A's. You know, uh, they're really going to impact the playoff race. Uh, I wonder how close to 39-0 and 0 Seattle, Texas, and Houston go against Oakland this year. And, you know, we talked about earlier in the show how competitive the American League East is. You know, though they're playing six games against Oakland, and you wonder if some playoff spots are going to be determined. You know, if I was playing hitter error, I, I guess I would say is there an error against hits? Uh, I think we expected with the uh, fewer shifts – uh, th th this year that uh, we'd see more singles in particular. Do you know they're flat? They're almost exactly the same as last year. Batting average is up slightly, 243 to 248. Run scoring is up a little. Obviously, stolen bases are up a little. But essentially, the three true outcomes are also up. Uh, home runs, walks, and strikeouts. I think we got the main thing we wanted, which was let's play. And we're now in this regular cycle of two hour, 30, two hour, 40 minute games, which feels much better about how we're playing. 
I still think the game itself that we've watched for a third of the season, and I don't know how we change this with the velocity and movement of pitching these days, but it's very much the game we've been watching with a few more stolen bases. Yeah, I mean, the pitch clock has made the biggest difference so far. I mean, the stolen bases are nice, but thank God for the pitch clock. That is the greatest innovation. <laughs> I don't want to say in baseball history. That would be overstating it, but it's it's. Oh, John, overstate. You're fine. Well, You're... for us with deadlines, it's it's big. But even with people without deadlines, it's a plus. John, I'm going to have a deadline tonight as we're speaking. I'm going to uh, Mets and Phillies. So, like, we, we got to jump out of here. So this is the moment where – I thank everybody for listening to the show, a podcast from the New York Post, where I thank our producers every week for helping us get through this, Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz. Don't forget that this show drops on the Yes app by Wednesday noon every week. Uh, Take a view of that. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and please give us a five-star rating. And let's see who John comes up for a guest next week. I'm putting a lot of pressure on you again, John. I'm abstaining okay. as as the uh, talent corral guy. We'll see who you come up with next week. Uh, so please uh, stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. <laughs> <laughs>